Hello, Lime Ninjas. This is Lime Ninja Radio, where we help you learn to navigate confidently through your own personal Lime journey. Everybody's journey is different, and a cookie-cutter approach just doesn't work for Lyme disease. You need ninja skills. I'm your host and acupuncturist, McKay Rippey, and this is episode number 98 with Lyme expert and genetic nutrition expert, Bob Miller. Also with us in the studio is our certified show producer and the brains behind Lime Ninja Radio, Aurora. Hi, and in this hi. episode, <laughs> hi everybody. I know that was very drawn out, wasn't it? It was very but... cute, I think. <laughs> we'll see what other people have to think. We'll if you have see. comments about how Aurora says hello, please send us an email. <laughs> yes, please do. I welcome all feedback. Um but I am excited about this episode and it was, it was very cool to listen to and to edit. And, uh, you guys are going to be learning at minimum three things. Uh, why you can have high iron and still be anemic. Why just supplementing methylated folate, even if you have the homozygous MTHFR gene is probably a bad idea. And, Last but not least, the excess nutrient that many limeys have that makes them stay up way too late, researching lime. But don't change. We need you to listen to the Lime Ninja Radio. Exactly. We need you to listen to the Lime Ninja Radio and keep on staying up late. <laughs> <laughs> Join the dark side. But first, we have some business to take care of. Number one, we are changing the publishing date to Tuesday mornings. Yes, it just makes things a little bit easier on us to spread out all the work that goes behind the scenes to producing Lime Ninja Radio. That'll start with episode number 100. So this episode obviously is coming out on a Sunday, and the next one will be a Sunday, but the one after that, number 100, woohoo! So we're celebrating early here. Exactly. Yeah, no, it is. Ex- I'm really excited about that. I can't believe it's been 100 episodes already. We or almost century mark. We did. We yes. did. Well, almost, right? Don't count your yeah. chickens, all that stuff. No, I right? know. Okay. But we're, we're, we're going to hit it. Yeah, we're going to hit it. In we're turning weeks. over a new chapter with this new publishing date, That's, right? Exactly. <laughs> and speaking of celebrating. We have a contest coming up starting woo! in a week. That's my so, second woohoo. I know. I've hit well, my limit. <laughs> that, that's enough excitement for one podcast. Uh, everything now will be said in the complete monotone. The contest, do keep an eye out on Facebook. Winners will be announced on the 23rd when the 100th po- podcast comes out. Exactly. And to enter... We've not, I'm not quite sure. I have to get some more ducks lined up for this. We got some great prizes. If you want to check out what they are, go to limeninjaradio.com front slash contest. So that's easy enough. limeninjaradio.com front slash contest. And there we'll list all the prizes. So right now we've had some very generous donations. We got some swag from limewarrior.com. We've got some of the Megaspore probiotic. From Dr. Bain, Dr. Horowitz has donated a signed copy of his book. Dr. Jernigan has donated some herbs. We also have some nutritional consultations. So there's a great list of stuff there. You're going to want to check it out. You won't be able to sign up right away for the contest, but there'll be information there about when you can and uh, probably get on an email list to inform you when it opens up. And then you can jump right on and make sure that you're entered into the contest. Right now we've got 10 prizes, and who knows, we might have even more by the time things get launched in about a week. Mm-hmm. All right, now to the That's, main reason we're here. Yes, and uh, like I said, I'm really excited about this episode because, you know, genetics is always a fascinating topic of conversation, and our guest is looking for participants for his study. Yes, indeed. Matter of fact, we bumped this interview to the top of the queue to get it out. His deadline is coming up right away. Bob Miller's deadlines come up right away. And we, if you have your 23andMe test done and you're willing to participate in this study, please go on over to their website. It's NutrigeneticResearch.org. That's NutrigeneticResearch.org. N-U-T-R-I 
geneticresearch.org, and participate. Uh, it's a very easy form. You go right to their homepage. You'll see a blue button at the top. Just click on that. That'll give you some more about the previous research study. He's trying to get 500 participants, and he's about halfway there, and there's about another 10 days before he needs another 250. So please, if you have your 23andMe data, He's going to keep that totally secure. You don't have to worry about it being shared with anybody. Matter of fact, he said in the interview that if you want to use a name like Daffy Duck or whatever, you can do that. So it's completely anonymous. They just need the data to analyze. And what they're trying to do, what he's trying to do, Mr. Miller's trying to do, is figure out if there are genetic patterns that show up in Lyme patients, and particularly with different sets of of symptoms. So please, if you have your 23andMe, go ahead and go over there and sign up for the study. Now, Aurora, tell us a little bit about Bob Miller, and then we'll get into our interview with him. All right. Bob Miller served as a traditional naturopath for 20 years and earned his naturopathic degree from Trinity School of Natural Health. Recognizing that there was not a nutritional supplements line on the market comprehensive enough to address all of the possible genetic variants, he began working with a national company to formulate an epigenetic line of products. In 2015, Bob Miller was inspired to start examining chronic Lyme disease, and he founded Nutrigenetic Research Institute to research and publish reports on the relationship between genetic variants, labs, and presenting symptoms. Thanks, Aurora. Here is our interview with Lyme expert and naturopath, Bob Miller. Oh, and one last thing. This interview gets crazy technical. If you want to learn more, go on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com, and there'll be some explainer videos there to help you go through and understand all of what he's talking about in terms of the genetic pathways. Well, I appreciate you uh, giving up some of your Sunday night to do this. Likewise, actually. Well, good. I'm uh, I'm here on Sundays anyway, doing research, catching up on odds and ends. It's your office day. Yep, sure is. You're a busy man. Yeah, it's gotten a little hectic recently. Yeah, sure has. Yeah, in June I was at three weekends away teaching, and uh, now I'm heading out to Florida this weekend to teach at a chiropractic seminar. So, yeah, kind of keeping me hopping, but uh, it's fun. I love it. How did you get interested in naturopathy? How would you say that even as a noun? Yeah, naturopathy. Naturopathy, okay. Yeah, it's actually my uh, second career. I was was an executive in the cable TV industry. In low 30s, I got ulcerative colitis. I mean, rather severe. Uh, Then I was in the hospital for 21 days and probably within hours of bleeding to death. And... uh, the meds were just making me sicker. So uh, I decided to start investigating some other things and didn't think I'd go down this path. And just put one of those old adages, uh, got to the top of the ladder, found I was on the wrong roof. So, <laughs> so <laughs> And um, then got my naturopathic degree and uh, did it uh, part-time till 02 and then went uh, full-time in 02 and haven't looked back since. Fantastic. I'm always amazed talking with people who've made the shift into the medical field that had either a business or scientific background, like more engineering type background rather than biomedicine background. They just bring a different perspective. Yeah, I had a medical doctor tell me once, he said, it's probably good you didn't have medical training or you wouldn't have had the perspective you have. And I'll I'll never forget that. That was an interesting concept because in cable TV I was an executive in cable TV but that is somewhat electronic you start out that way so you just tend to think circuits and electrical flow and that same principle applies to genetics and you know when you're troubleshooting you get back to the root cause so I guess part of that electronic troubleshooting just migrated right over and, and give me a different perspective that the you know symptom treaters just don't have Right, and how did your or how did genetics capture your attention, and you first get interested in in that type of nutrition? Because there are lots of ways to prescribe nutrition, and genetics is absolutely the new kid on the block here. Sure. Well, it was about five years ago that uh, I just started looking at uh, 
homocysteine. It's like, oh, well, that's interesting. Realized how dangerous it was, then started digging into how you clear it, and then started reading about how the enzymes are the ones that uh, make the B12 and the methylfolate and, and, and move the homocysteine through the middle pathway back in. It's like, well, that's curious. And, and it just really, I mean, immediately was, uh, not to use a cliche, but love at first sight, like this is cool. And because it was for the first time logic behind it, you know, it wasn't just a, you know, take this herb for that because we always did. Right. And, uh, you know, having that quizzical mind of what's the root cause, to me, this is like, oh my God, this is the root cause. And crack this code and you'll be ready getting down to the core of the fundamentals as to why people are out of balance. I signed up on your website and uploaded a few people's 23andMe and, and I'm starting to dip my toe in it. And what it reminds me of, my training, I'm an acupuncturist. Uh-huh. I'm not an herbalist though, but it right. reminds me of some of the Chinese herbal prescriptions in that you really, they, they tried to do the same thing, but using signs and symptoms. Right. Does this person, how does this person react? And if they have this sort of sign on their tongue, then you shouldn't give them this herb, but then you need to modify it with that one. And right. really, the way these pathways are set up, it seems like this is the modern explanation for thousands of years of, of herbal, uh, and herbal Chinese medicine. And it's so much more than what you said. Like, you know, you can go to the store and get a homeopathic remedy for your headache, but you're not really getting homeopathy. You're just getting a first aid, a Band-Aid right. thing. And the same for this. So this, what you're doing here is so much more sophisticated. And for the Lyme people, so important. And how did you get interested in Lyme? Is it endemic down there where you are? Well, it, it's interesting that uh, I have a lady by the name of Tina Prinz who does uh, marketing for me, and she has chronic Lyme. There you go. And uh, she started saying, Bob, you really need to look at this. <laughs> and uh, so I, I ran her 23andMe, and she was like, this is very cool. This explains a lot of things. So she just started posting on a couple – there's a lot of Facebook pages, as you know, for Lyme. And she started posting and then, you know, some people came in, you know, they posted and apparently, I don't look at any of them, but apparently my name is mentioned quite a bit now on Lyme Facebooks across the world. And uh, so I'm, you know, sometimes I'm getting 10, 11 people a day who have chronic Lyme. Then as you know, I, uh, being the inquisitive person I am, I saw these patterns and I'll, and I'll talk about those in the interview if you like that. They were a lot of them were making extra amounts of the oxidizing agent peroxynitrite. Then an inordinate amount of them were carriers for hemochromatosis. And it's like, you know, what's up here? So uh, even before I, I thought about doing a study on Lyme, I thought, you know, I'd like to start a research institute. So I started Nutrigenetic Research Institute. I mean, I just called my lawyer and said, let's start a corporation. And I mean, I'm the president. That's it. I mean, it's not a nonprofit or anything else. But I wanted an umbrella name to say that I'm doing research. So it wasn't just some, you know, some naturopath doing research, you know. So I was like, well, I might as well have a good name. So all these Lyme people came in. So I, I talked to Tina. I said, I'd like to do a study. So she was like, well, I'll get you the genomes. So they started posting this on these Facebook pages. And in a short period of time, I had, plus my own people, 192 people with chronic Lyme. So what I did then, <clears throat> I... Uh, I don't know if you know, I, I developed software that now analyzes genetics. It's called Nitrogenetic. Uh, oh, you said you have the software, yeah. So that, that's my software. And then I started comparing. I, I, I created an account just for these folks with Lyme. And then we imported those results into a spreadsheet, compared it to the 1000 Genome Project, and looked at, you know, what do these folks have in more in excess that, you know, the normal population doesn't have. And did you, by any chance, download my study or, or watch the video on the website on the on the Lyme study? I downloaded the study and mm -hmm. glanced over it, so I have a passing familiarity with it. Right. Well, in there, I, I list the SNPs that are that are very high, and you know the conclusion I came to is that you know these folks with chronic Lyme seem to have mitochondrial dysfunction, right. 
and so consequently they have lower ATP. They have SNPs in their GAD gene that turns the glutamate into GABA. So then you combine low ATP with that, you're going to make more glutamate, which is inflammatory. 5.21 times higher of the hemochromatosis gene, which makes uh, hydroxyl radicals. You combine hydroxyl radicals with unutilized fats, and you've got some lipid peroxides and all kinds of nasty stuff. Now, what I'm going to be doing is I'm doing a phase two study that I'd like to talk about, where I'd like to get 500 people if I can. I've got two weeks. I have till April 15th, and we're up to like 240, and I'd like to quickly try, try to get as much more as we can. That's where we're pushing it on these uh, blo- on these uh, on these uh, podcasts. Uh, and then I want to expand it a little more to a few more SNPs related to fats and a few more SNPs related to glutamate. I want to look at the... Uh, Are you look at the ACAT? Oh, I'm already looking at the ACAT. And what's interesting is that's one of the ones that shows up highest in those with chronic Lyme. That's the one I've only uploaded four at this point, but that showed up on all of them so far. Yes. Well, if you, if you watch the, uh, the video on the Research Institute site, you know, I, I talk about ACAT. You know, it's, its purpose is to take your fats and proteins, turn them into acetyl-CoA, the first step of the Krebs cycle, and then that's what makes your, uh, your ATP. And they also have the, the SLC genes that are related to the inability to turn, make carnitine that takes your fats into the cells. And then they have some of the enduffs that make ATP in the electron transport. So they've got trouble bringing fats in, turning fats into acetyl-CoA, and then trouble making uh, ATP at the end. So it's like, no wonder. Then Lyme comes along, reduces ATP further. They already have high glutamate. That lowered ATP jacks up the glutamate even more. That's why they're anxious. They're dead tired, but they're anxious. And then that glutamate also drives superoxide and nitric oxide to make more peroxynitrite, which makes you more toxic and weakens the immune system. So I don't want to overpromise or be overly optimistic, but this may be a model of what makes people chronically ill with the Lyme. You know, rather than the folks who do the antibiotic and get well, this might be one of the clues for the chronic. I don't want to be so bold as to say this is what's happening for everybody, but I think it's safe to say this is happening for a good number. But as I'm talking to people every day, there's different mechanisms that they make hydroxyl radicals. There's different mechanisms that they're not using the fats, but the commonality seems to be you know, dysregulation of lipids and high levels of oxidative stress. And then how does that tie into their immune systems? And so where maybe somebody who does get the two weeks of doxy, and the, the doxy just stops the bugs from reproducing. It doesn't actually kill them off. But if you have a healthy immune system, then your body can take rid of them. Get right. rid of them. But if you have this pre-existing superoxidation, uh, all this inflammation that's in there, how does that affect and downregulate the immune system? Well, it's the peroxynitrite that downregulates the immune system. And what's the mechanism for that? Well, a couple of them. Uh, one is if you don't have enough BH4, which is tetrahydrobiroptin, uh, and that's what the body uses to make take tryptophan and tyrosine, turn it into serotonin and dopamine. BH4 combines with the NOS, which is the nitric oxide synthase enzyme, to turn L-arginine into nitric oxide. So if you don't have enough BH4, or you've got a boatload of variants on NOS, the L-arginine slams into superoxide rather than nitric oxide. That's why, you know, some guys particularly, they want to build muscle mass or they're having trouble with erectile function. They take arginine and all they do is get inflamed because that L-arginine turns into superoxide, then if that's not neutralized by superoxide dismutase, it combines with what's left over of superoxide and makes the peroxynitrite. It's called NOS uncoupling. Marty Paul was very famous for talking about that. It sounds like the perfect storm. It is, yeah. And then if you have SOD genes variants on top of it, you can't neutralize it. And but SOD, hang on just one second here. SOD is? Superoxide dismutase. So that's an enzyme that breaks down the superoxide. Right. But here's where it gets really complex. It turns it into hydrogen peroxide, 
H2O2. Which is also a bit of a problem, yeah? Right. It is because glutathione and catalase have to come along and turn that into water and oxygen. So if you've got a glutathione issue or you've got a catalase issue, that hydrogen peroxide stays high. Then here's where it gets really weird for people who have the hemochromatosis gene. They're absorbing more iron. That iron is then combining with the hydrogen peroxide and making more hydroxyl radicals that oxidize your fats. And some bacteria, I don't know if Lyme's included in that, really like feeding on iron. Yes. So that's why the people with the hemochromatosis gene seem to be much higher, 5.21 times higher in those with the chronic Lyme. Now, they don't have hemochromatosis. That's when you've got a double variant. And those are the people that if you don't, you know, do phlebotomy once or twice a month, you're dead. But these people have a single carrier that just increases the iron just a little bit. But the irony is some of these people are anemic because they're not clearing their hydrogen peroxide. They're oxidizing their iron. Then the doc says, oh, you're anemic. You need to take iron. Uh, And they're throwing fuel on the fire. You know, I have a patient who I think is in that case. Um, Mm -hmm. Interesting. She doesn't have Lyme disease, but she's got a host of other problems. Sure. And when they take iron, they're low in iron, they take iron, they feel worse. They feel terrible, yeah. They feel terrible. And then, ironically, you know, we all think that glutathione is so wonderful. It's magic. It's magic. However, if you've got glutathione variants and you have high cysteine because the cysteine is not turning into glutathione, number one, NAC is horrible. I mean, because that will then combine with the iron to begin the... The, the iron thing is called the Fenton reaction where you oxidize your iron. So if, if you've got glutathione variants and you take NAC and you've got high iron, you're again creating the perfect storm. But even if you take glutathione and your glutathione gets up to adequate levels and you start sparing cysteine, then that cysteine combines with the iron and creates more inflammation. Couldn't figure it out. Some people, I give them glutathione and be like, woohoo, I love it. This is right. great. And other people. No, but then like eight weeks later, six, eight weeks later, it's like, holy shit, what happened? Ah. Because we spared the cysteine. No kidding. I did an interview with on one of my webinars. You might want to listen to it. A nurse who had this pattern, she went to a Lyme doc who put her on glutathione IV, and the next day she was in a wheelchair. Yeah. Yeah. I was just speaking to a young woman. Uh, she's in Paris right now, and she says, I can't take glutathione. She said, I just took a liposomal glutathione, and I felt immediately horrible. Right. Sure. Now, that could be for two reasons. Uh, it could be because the uh, that happened, or it could be because uh, she can't handle the fats, and the, li- and the liposomal is uh, fat-delivered. That was, I actually had that thought too, so I'm happy to hear that my thinking is somewhat in line with yours. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, I mean, it, it's just, uh, you know, basic biochemistry. So that's why if I want to deliver. Well, that's why volume, people, most people, I mean, it's an English major. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why I, uh, that's why I like to use S acetyl glutathione rather than a uh, liposomal. But and what about? I mean, there's so. Back up here a second. People talk about the ability of glutathione to be absorbed and having trouble making it through the digestive system. So that's right. why you put it liposomally. Right, but S acetyl gets through, and then professional health products put in delayed release cap yet to even bypass the stomach. So it's enteric coated. Yeah. Right. Brilliant. Now with all these complications that are out there with Lyme disease, does this make it harder to treat or is this going to make it easier? Like, are you, you mean hopeful? For, well, I mean, I mean easier for the LLMD to treat it with the antibiotics or the herbals? No, I just meant it's, does all this translate to hope for somebody with Lyme disease? Well, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how many people are just like thrilled beyond belief that somebody's finally telling them what's causing the conditions that allows them to be ill. And I'm seeing many people getting energy back quickly. And they're talking about this on the Facebook pages. And that's why 
people are coming out of the woodwork, you know, because people only talk about it when it works. And, you know, and I don't have 100% success. Nobody does. But I have a lot of people that start after six, eight weeks. They start, you know, I got a little more energy. You know, I don't think I hurt as much. Uh, my brain seems a little more clear, and then it continues to improve for them. So the whole, I mean, if you go to the core of naturopathy, the core of naturopathy, this, this goes way back, you know, to uh, to Louis Pasteur. He's the germ guy. He said, it's the germ. So modern medicine is based upon kill the germ. Yeah. There was a contemporary of his called Antoine Bechamp who said, Louis, I think you're right. There's a pathogen, but it's the environment that allows the pathogen to be there. So that's the father of naturopathy. So in classical naturopathy, we don't treat the disease. We change the conditions that allows it to happen. For those with chronic Lyme, it's massive inflammation. So 90% of the people I work with, we start out SOD, either S-acetylglutathione or something else that helps the cysteine convert to glutathione, NERF2, the nuclear transaction factor that supports the, you know, creation and conversion of uh, of uh, all the antioxidants, something to knock down the iron, maybe something to break down the fats more effectively. I mean, that's the starting point for 90% of the people. So it sounds like really with Lyme disease, the, the table's set. Somebody's inflamed either because of genetic or environmental or combination of of uh, effects there. Sure, and it's usually combination. And and then they get inflamed with an infection because that's what the immune system do. It creates inflammation to fight off. The, and then they begin to get depleted right. in some of these areas. So sure. the inflammation cranks up. It, it begins to accelerate. They get more and more inflamed. They get more and more depleted. And then all of a sudden the wheels fall off the bus and they've never felt worse. And is yeah, that I wish I, I wish I had that recorded so I could play that back for some people. <laughs> that was brilliant, buddy. <laughs> We're on a roll. We're going with this. <laughs> so that's that's the other thing. So I've interviewed quite a few people with Lyme disease. I'm sure you have now. Many of their stories is, you know, and looking back 20 years ago, I got bit and I had some symptoms here and there and things would flare up and seem a little bit unusual. But then all of a sudden, and they fill in the blank here, I got the immunization, I was in a car accident, some traumatic inflammatory event happens. And this is also the story with people with fibromyalgia. Yep, I was just going to well. say that. Yeah, You know, mm -hmm. it's the same sort of thing. And then all of a sudden, bam, it's like yep. your system can no longer handle the inflammation, can no exactly. longer handle the job it's supposed to do. Exactly. Yeah, one of the things I often say is, you know, you might have only been, you know, the, the barrel was already 80% full, but you didn't know it and you were cruising along. Right. And then something else came along and overflowed it and you were done. But had that not come along, maybe 10, 15 years later, you know, one shoe after another would have started to drop. You know, it's really funny. I Over the years, I've learned to ask better questions of my patients. And, you know, people come in and say, yeah, I'm pretty healthy. And now I start off with, tell me the medications you're on. Right. Because in the old days, it used to be, well, tell me the medications you're on after we had this long conversation. And they said, well, I'm on medication for hypertension. Well, I, th I thought you said you were fine. Well, the medication takes care of it. It's like, yep. it doesn't, an illness plus a medication doesn't make you healthy. Exactly. So we, we do cruise through life ill many times, ignoring the subtle signs and symptoms that our body's yelling at us, trying to give us. Absolutely. You know, and we'll take Zyrtec or we'll take Advil every day or we'll do something like that. And it's, you know, it's not until something catastrophic happens that then people go back and, and really get to the root cause and begin to figure this all out. Let's talk a little bit more about your study. Sure. Well, what, uh, what happened is I started seeing all of these people with, with chronic Lyme. And I just saw patterns that seemed to be emerging. I saw high levels of peroxynitrite. I saw high levels of iron oxidation. So I did a call for people who were willing to participate in a study. And, you know, what we promised them was you'll get a copy of your genetic report and what the findings were. And uh, people were very happy to uh, to participate. 
and we just took those numbers, compared them to a control group. We used the Thousand Genome Project, and then we just started looking, you know, where is there at least two and a half times more SNPs in a SNP compared to the Thousand Genome Project? And then I just categorized those, and then I found that it's mitochondrial, that it's the things that increase the glutamate, uh, urea cycle that clears ammonia, and I'll talk about that a little more, that, that ammonia not only clogs up the body and, you know, makes you uh, brain foggy and uh, fatigued, but it also depletes us of something very important called BH4, tetrahydroberoptin, that can make us feel a little bluesy or depressed. And then that also contributes to something called NOS uncoupling that creates inflammation. Then we also found these people had difficulty making glutathione, turning something called cysteine into glutathione. And then what uh, what happens, that cysteine turns into cystine as it combines with iron. And then that byproduct combines with something called hydrogen peroxide and creates a nasty, nasty free radical called a hydroxyl radical. And that will try to destroy the body in any way. And one of the major things we're looking at now is that it combines with fats. And then those fats oxidize. And those other processes from the high glutamate to the Nasan coupling all create something called peroxynitrite that is a nasty oxidizing agent that depletes you of glutathione, therefore allows heavy metals to go up and suppresses the immune system. And I submitted this to ILADS, and I think most people listening to this are familiar with ILADS, the uh, the International Organization for for Lyme Study. And I submitted it to the international conference that was being held in Helsinki, Finland, and it was accepted as a research paper, and and I was there. And I was a little stunned when they announced that they only had two research winners, and this was one of the uh, winning research papers. Now, if anyone would like to see that, all they have to do is go to NutriGeneticResearch.org, and that's Nutri, N-U-T-R-I, ResearchInstitute.org. The paper's there, but more importantly, you know, I know as I was rattling off all these terms, people were probably glossing over. It's like, huh, what? <laughs> a little too much biochemistry. But on that site, I have a 45-minute video where I have a chart, the actual chart I used in Helsinki, where I slowly walk you through the processes, and then it'll make a whole lot more sense. I'm sure what I just rattled off, you know, unless you live and breathe this stuff, didn't make any sense. But if you watch that video, it'll start to make sense as to what's going on. And then I'm very happy to announce that ILAD is going to be having another conference in Philadelphia this uh, in November, and there's another uh, opportunity for a research paper, so if uh, you're hearing this podcast before August 15th and you've done 23andMe and you have chronic Lyme, uh, again, if you go to that same website, NutrigeneticResearch.org, uh, there's a simple little form you fill out. It's like five or six questions, you know, what your diagnosis was, what your energy levels are. I mean, it takes about two minutes to do that. And then if you would email us your raw 23andMe data, uh and I can assure you complete confidentiality. We never use names. We don't identify people. All I want is I'd like to have 500 people have chronic Lyme. And for example, the, the SNPs that are related to fat usage, what is the percentage of SNPs in a Lyme group compared to the 1,000 Genome Project? That's all we're going to do with it. We're not going to identify you or you as a person. Your, your genome is safe. It's not going anywhere. And you'll just be included in a group of 500. So no one will be, you know, taken out individually. So we'll say, like, for example, in the Lyme group, in gene number X, 35% of the people had SNPs in the 1000 Genome Project, 10%. And then we can see, wow, there was more SNPs here. And then we look at the clinical significance of that and then come up with some theories. So we have to submit the next study by September 5th uh, for the November's, uh, for the November uh, ILADS conference. And the goal is I want to look at the same SNPs we looked at before, but I want to dig more into to glutamate. Glutamate is an excitatory neurotransmitter. It's what makes you intelligent. It's what makes your brain work. But it also turns into a relaxing neurotransmitter called GABA, which helps you sleep, which helps you be relaxed, which helps you be calm. 
So what there's, is the transition? There is an enzyme called GAD, G-A-D, that converts the glutamate into GABA. One of the cofactors is ATP, and that is the end product of the mitochondria. So many of these people also have mitochondrial dysfunction. They have problems making carnitine that carries fats in. They have trouble with a gene called ACAT, acetyl-CoA transferase, that takes fats and proteins, turns it into energy. And something else called the electron transport cycle that gives them low energy. Then the lime comes along and lowers the energy even more. So that glutamate to GABA conversion is compromised even more. The glutamate goes higher, and the end result is glutamate makes more of that nasty, nasty free radical called peroxynitrite that inflames you and weakens the immune system. And then that peroxynitrite also impacts mitochondrial dysfunction and makes you more tired. So that's why many of these people are wired and tired. And then if that peroxynitrite also chews up your BH4, you're going to make more inflammation, but it's also going to deplete your serotonin so you can feel a little depressed. Many people know serotonin turns into melatonin, so you're going to have trouble sleeping, and the downward spiral begins. And this just feeds upon itself. So in this next study, I want to look at the glutamine to glutamate genes, the glutamate to glutamine genes. And also, glutamate also turns into alpha-ketoglutarate, which is part of the Krebs cycle. Maybe people are having more variants there as well, that this excess glutamate is not turning into energy. Those are all the things we want to study. And then we also want to look at some FADS genes and other genes that are related to fats. Uh, because the theory that I'm proposing, and it is just a proposed theory, that those with chronic Lyme are not able to utilize their fats properly, then they're making these massive amounts of hydroxyl radicals, and the hydroxyl radicals and the fats are going together and making a toxic soup in addition to the peroxynitrite that weakens the immune system and potentially idyllic conditions for Lyme or fill in the blank, Epstein-Barr, chronic fatigue, whatever else. I don't think this this pattern is just related to uh, to Lyme. It may be related to a lot of chronic conditions. And let me just review. Go ahead. I'm, I'm going to jump in here because this is very, very interesting. I just interviewed Terry Walls. Are you familiar with Dr. Walls? No, I'm not. Tell work? me about it. She is a bit of an internet star. She had MS and cured herself with nutritional intervention. Yes. And has a, a nutritional protocol. And she's doing some individual research on this. And essentially, the protocol is to up your vegetables mm-hmm. <laughs> and cut down on sugar. Now, mm-hmm. the other thing is she has a ketogenic version of her protocol. And in a pilot study she was doing, she was disappointed, she told me, that she did not see more of a brain boost and more of a, a health boost with the ketogenic version of hers. And given what you just said, you just may have, if your theory's right, explained why that happens. Because if you can't metabolize fats and you increase fats, you're just going to cause more problems. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's why many of these people crave carbs. Yeah, uh, because their fats don't turn into energy and they don't know why. But when people have the ACAT genes and the carnitine genes, uh, they many times are, are frustrated that they can't lose weight or they're, you know, they're, they're just so frustrated they can't, you know, do better because they just crave these carbs and it's not really their fault because if they didn't have the carbs, they wouldn't have energy at all. Right. They'd be on the table, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Fascinating. Now, I interrupted you. Oh, that's okay. The, uh, if I can just go back, uh, you said that that lady was was studying MS, Doctor Walls. Yes, yes, yeah. If you, if you look at some of the literature, there's an interesting relationship between MS and glutamate, and glutamate uh, chews up the the myelin sheath, mm. and uh, that might be an interesting study someday to look at those with MS and uh, see if they have some of these glutamate patterns as well. I'm suspecting it's not a single issue. That would be way too simplistic. But, you know, is glutamate a issue in MS? That'd be a fascinating study. And interestingly, that's where many times when people have high glutamate, they have an upset intestinal tract. And, you know, either a good friend or even a physician tells them, oh, you need glutamine to heal your gut. And in some of these instances, the glutamine can actually aggravate the situation. 
or they'll do bone broth. And the bone broth is a good source of glutamine. In some instances, aggravates the situation. Now, what I was also going to talk about is that when we get free radicals from any source, they combine with oxygen and make what's called the superoxide free radical. That superoxide free radical on its own can combine with fats to make, you know, oxidative damaged fats. But if that superoxide free radical is even turned into superoxide dismutase as it's supposed to, that's the way it's supposed to work. But then glutathione and catalase need to come along and turn that into water and oxygen. So if we have enough SOD, we make hydrogen peroxide. Then if we have enough glutathione and catalase, we make very safe water and oxygen. But I find many of these individuals have trouble making glutathione. They have genetic variants in the genes that make glutathione. So they don't clear the hydrogen peroxide or they have catalase genes. Or if you have enough inflammation going on, you might be chewing up your glutathione trying to put out other fires. You know, the glutathione might be used on something else. Mm -hmm. So that high hydrogen peroxide then combines with iron, again, to make a nasty free radical that oxidizes your fats. And then, as I said earlier, if someone has the hemochromatosis gene where you absorb a little bit more iron and you have high levels of hydrogen peroxide, you're again making one massive amount of hydroxyl radicals that do damage throughout the body, but also oxidize with the fats that might be dysregulated because of ACAT, the carnitine genes, or possibly even the PON1 genes. I didn't mention them yet, but one of the PON1 genes showed up high in those with chronic Lyme which plays a dual role. It helps clear herbicides and pesticides, which, of course, adds to the toxic load, but it's also involved with the proper usage of your lipids. See how we keep coming back to that again? So the things I kept coming back to was lipid dysregulation. These are the highest ones, Mm -hmm. lipid dysregulation and things that create hydroxyl radicals. And then the iron combining with those hydroxyl radicals to make a huge mess. And let's just pause there because I just want to emphasize when we're talking about fats here and and lipids here, we're not just talking about fat and the little bit of roll that's hanging over your belt. The myelin, your nerves are mostly made of fat. The myelin sheath is made of a lot of fat. Your brain is tons and tons of fat. The, The membranes of your cells are all made of fat. So when we're talking about lipid oxidation here, we're talking about the destruction of you, of your body. Yes, this very is, well said. This is this is a serious, serious problem. So when you put rancid lipids inside your system, everything is not going to work as well. It's just going to start to break down. And really, you you hear and you see these stories under our skin and and some other documentaries and TV shows where the people are really suffering with Lyme, where they're really bedridden, you can see the effects of that sort of destruction on the nervous system, on the joints, and so forth and so on. So it's not just the, – the bacteria does enough of damage on its own. But then once the body collapses also, I think that's that's what we're seeing here. Now, sure. I have this is an interesting observation. So also in interviewing so many people, most of the Lyme people that I interview are very bright. Yes. And your story about the glutamate not converting into GABA all of a sudden makes so much sense. It's like these people are you know, turned up high. If they have a volume on them, they're turned up very, very high. Yes, and that makes it that makes a ton of sense now because they're. Yes. it's incredible how much time and effort so many of these limeys put into research and scouring the internet for hours and hours and up to two and three a.m. and just can't get enough information. So I know a lot of people are going to be just just scooping up this interview with you because absolutely, it's, it's going to give them so much more to to burn through and learn absolutely. about. Absolutely, <laughs> you know, I, I continually notice that that these people had this high glutamate. So I'd, oftentimes I say, were you considered gifted? 
And what, what, I, what I love about these folks, they're such nice people. They're very humble. Well, yeah, yeah, I, I guess it was. You know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I'm talking to these people with their masters or their PhDs, or if they didn't do that, they're business owners. And I say to them, I'll bet when you were well and working, the bosses loved you because you were a getter done, you know, no nonsense, don't suffer fools wisely, and you were like a star employee. And again, they're humble. Well, yeah, I, I guess I was. I mean, these are the people that are intelligent. They're the movers and shakers. And they're the getter duns. And what's interesting is, you know, this genetic work isn't something that is accepted very well yet by traditional medicine. So I theorize because these people are so bright, they're willing to think out of the box. And I often tell them, you know, this is pretty amazing that you were on Facebook groups or something. You researched this. You went and uh, had your 23andMe tested. You tracked down this crazy naturopath in Pennsylvania and were very excited to make a, an appointment. And they they love it. They're, they're thrilled through the visit. And then they comply. These aren't the victims of, oh, woe is me. I often say to them, you're the kind of people that's like, tell me what to do, coach, because I want to get back in the game. They're delightful to work with. And I, I've coined a phrase that makes everybody laugh. I say, this pattern probably represents 5 to 10% of the population, but 90% of the people I talk to, and I call them my brainiacs who are inflamed and anxious, and then I welcome them to the VIP club. Of course, they just find that too. <laughs> <laughs> so then I say, you know, watch the mail for the membership card. <laughs> and uh, I've often teased that I, that I ought to start a uh, – a Facebook page just for them because they all like each other. Oh, absolutely. And uh, you're right, and that's why, because they're making that glutamate. Now, what's also interesting, you know, many of them, despite their brightness, they may have had trouble sometimes because the brain's going so fast. Yeah. And they have hard time focusing. So uh, that's why I'm real excited about agents that actually bring down the glutamate. So... Uh, one of the things I, I really try to work on is try to use nutrition that slows down that glutamate and supports that conversion of glutamate to GABA. And then the other piece is getting the mitochondria going a little better so there's more ATP. So again, that glutamate to GABA conversion occurs. I've After the study is when I realized that this high glutamate might be more significant than I ever realized. Now, some people have the mitochondrial and glutamate. Some people have massive amounts of NOS uncoupling. Some people really have all the things falling into place for the iron oxidation. And even on the original numbers, one of the things I want to do is I want to see what patterns there are. You know, clearly, people with chronic Lyme don't have all of those. But I'll be curious, are there some that go together? In other words, does NOS uncoupling go with iron oxidation? Does mitochondrial dysfunction go with glutamate? Does... Uh, does the urea cycle weakness that allows the BH4 to go up combine with the NOS? So I want to look at combinations and we'll be looking at percentages and see, you know, for the people who are chronic, is there like they either have this pattern, that pattern, because there isn't one pattern, but the bottom line goal is anything that weakens ATP, raises the glutamate, raises the hydroxyl radicals, uh, is what causes the problem. And you have 10 different patterns that could create that, but the end result is likely the same. Right. I think this conversation about patterns is so important because really what it's the breakthrough SNP, the MTHFR, like everybody's heard of it and everybody has it. You know, it's like it's like the it's popular. It's, right. It's the slinky, it's the whatever the the fad is at the time. Right. But what what you're talking about goes another step beyond and talking about patterns because of the body itself if one pathway is blocked it will open up another one or use a secondary or tertiary or whatever's next after tertiary right. quadrary sure pathway so there's it's never completely blocked so it's mo mostly about efficiency and and what you're talking about is there, there's not one single gene variant that's going to give you Lyme or chronic Lyme. Absolutely not. It's so many. And I think that's it's very, very important. And that's a whole another sophisticated that goes back to the germ theory. The germ theory is one germ causes one disease, and that's what we're looking for. And 
it's time for medicine to move beyond that and look at patterns. And really that's, that's my training as an acupuncturist is we're, we're looking for patterns and we didn't have, or they didn't have 2000 years ago, this type of sophisticated analysis, but sure. it's the same type of thinking that goes involved with it. And I think that's where your more engineering business background opens you up as opposed to a doctor who's trained one cause, you know, single cause for a single disease. And that's, right. and that's what they're trying to drill down to. Sure. And would Let you me just address that if I can. And like yeah. for peroxynitrite, in the software that I developed, I have predictions for peroxynitrite, but it includes the NOS genes, the BH4 genes, the glutathione genes, the SOD genes, all of those together, and any combination of those could create high levels of peroxynitrite. So there isn't a peroxynitrite gene either. I could identify five different patterns. If you've got massive amounts of ammonia that depletes your BH4 and some NOS genes, you can make peroxynitrite. You could have that all doing well, but if you've got no production of SOD and no glutathione, you're going to have high levels of peroxynitrite. So you're right, there isn't a gene that makes it work. And if I can, I'd like to speak about MTHFR just a little bit. Oh, please. Uh, I, I like to say that I have my PhD in the School of Hard Knocks. <laughs> <laughs> and five years ago, I started learning about MTHFR. And I thought, woohoo, this yeah, is it. It's a big I'm going to find who has MTHFR. I'm going to give them methylfolate, and I'm going to have great results. Well, what I found was 10 to 15% of the people had great results and 75 to 85% did worse. Wow. And it's like, whoa, you know. So again, that's where I started my quest of what the heck's going on here. So what we find is that when people are depleted in glutathione, folate stimulates phase one liver detox and phase two is your glutathione. So you start stimulating phase one and you don't have enough glutathione, you're going to make more inflammation. And folate can also stimulate glutamate. So that's why sometimes people take folate and it's like, no, wait, this is supposed to help me and I'm more inflamed or I'm about ready to jump out of my skin. Same thing happens with B12. Sometimes people take B12 and they just about come unglued from that B12 because it's stimulated a pathway too quickly. So in my protocols... When people say, oh, my God, I have MTHFR, and it's like, yeah, so does 35% of the people I talk to. Relax. And what I've also done is I do urine organic acid testing that actually measures in a backwards way the folate levels in the cells. And I was stunned how many people have MTHFR and their folate levels are just fine. Now, one of the research projects I want to do is I have a lot of data. There's a folate receptor site. There's a DHFR enzyme that's a middle pathway. There's MTHF1 as well as MTHFR. I think what we're going to find is those that are low in folate have the perfect storm. They have folate receptors, DHFRs, and then maybe MTHFRs. Because I've seen people who do not have MTHFR, and they're some of the sickest people I've seen. I've also seen some very healthy people. I mean, really healthy, not just you know saying that they're healthy and they're on 10 meds, <laughs> who have MTHFR. So it is a gene that we need to look at. It has some relative significance. Clearly, it's not to be ignored. But when I I train doctors on how to do this, and one of the things I say is, you know, don't get carried away on this MTHFR. You know, a lot of times people measure it. They go online. They see they have MTHFR. They go to Dr. Google. You ever heard of him? And uh, they find out that they need folate and they start taking it and it really backfires on them. So when I teach doctors how to do this, it's like you darn well better take care of your glutathione first. If you've got too much glutamate coming down through here, you better take care of that first. Then if you don't have any B12, you better take care of that next. Then you introduce the folate. So most of the people I talk to have MTHFR. They're a little surprised when I say, yeah, we'll probably do folate four to six months from now. And they're like, really? But I have MTHFR. It's like, yeah, really. Just just cool it. Because if you give folate too quickly, uh, you can do more damage than help. And not to say that some people don't need it, and not to say it's not very helpful for some people. But it can also be harmful if given too early. And that happens quite a bit. Fabulous. That's so important. Yeah, one of the first things I do with a lot of people, 
And I, I can honestly say I probably helped more people by taking them off stuff that was hurting them. You know, I just had a lady the other day that had the iron oxidation and the glutathione genes, and she was taking N-acetylcysteine and iron. Like, oops. <laughs> so she was putting the two ingredients together that was creating the hydroxyl radicals. You know, or they're making massive amounts of glutamate and they're taking glutamine for their gut. Or they, they think they need to increase their nitric oxide and they're taking L-arginine and they've got the NOS gene, so they're making more superoxide free radical. So, uh, not all nutrition can be, uh, benign under certain conditions. Some nutritional status, as I just said with the folate, you get folate too soon. It can create inflammation. So, although it, it's not nearly as dangerous as some pharmacological agents, uh, nutrients given at the wrong time or under the wrong conditions can actually worsen conditions rather than help. I see it all the time. Yeah. I'm sure you do too. All the time. Now, to wrap up, one last question. Are most of these variants correctable with targeted nutrition or in some cases or that it's just not going to happen? They have to figure something else out. Well, I tell people for the most part, if if you're having the symptoms from it, I have good news and bad news. The good news is we can compensate. The bad news is we can compensate. So, like, for example, if somebody's got only 20% of their carnitine genes not variated, more than likely carnitine is a lifetime friend. If they've got homozygous variants on every SOD, more than likely it would be a good idea to have a lifetime relationship with superoxide dismutase. Now, on some of these inflammatories, you can certainly back off after the inflammation is gone. But when the inflammation is very when, – when the condition is very severe – Many of these, it just makes sense to have lifetime compensation. Because sometimes people say, okay, so we're going to do this and then we're going to do the genetic test again and my genes will be better. And it's like, no, this is kind of the hand you were dealt. Uh, if we were able to test your genetics at the moment of conception, this is the way you'd be. Day before you die, this is likely the way you're going to be. So now how they're expressed and all that kind of stuff can change, but the actual genetic code that you were born with is kind of locked in there. So... And uh, most people understand that, that, you know, if you don't make enough of this, you know, I tell people in genetic nutrition, what we do is ridiculously simple. We try to determine where you not be making, where you may not be making enough of something because of genetics. And then we give you some of that to bring you where you'd be if you didn't have the genetics. Or you may not be making enough antioxidants that neutralize the free radicals. So we're going to help you out, give you some of those free radicals to bring you with the antioxidants, I'm sorry, give you antioxidants to bring you where you'd be if you didn't have the genetic variants. And then if you've got weakness in your urea cycle or you've got weakness somewhere else in the clearing of toxins, we're going to support the clearing of those toxins. And then we get out of the way. As naturopaths, we don't, as traditional naturopaths, we don't treat anything. You know, we're not licensed medical folks, so we don't diagnose, treat, or prescribe, but we support function. And when you support the function, give the body what it was missing Remove those nasty toxins. Take down that ammonia. Take down that histamine. Take down that glutamate. Take down that peroxynitrite. Then the, bat, the body's natural ability to heal comes in, which I think probably dovetails into your five-element theory of, you know, bringing the body back into balance and it heals. Absolutely, it's the same foundation. Yes. Nothing new under the sun except not for this. this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now l- l- let's wrap up. Tell folks again how to participate in the study, and where they can get hold of you. Okay. Uh, Nutri, N-U-T-R-I, genetic, G-E-N-E-T-I-C, research.org. And that's where they can see the poster, read the study, watch the video. Again, if your head is spinning from all these terms I threw out, I apologize. Hopefully that just whets your appetite to watch the 45-minute video. When you see it visually, that'll help. On that same web page, you can just click to participate. And again, this has to be for people who have done 23andMe and already have the raw data. It takes four to six weeks to get the data back, so you can't just do it now. This is people that have done 23andMe, have the raw data, willing to participate. And again, we promise to keep all your information confidential. If you're really freaked out, uh, change the name. Submit yourself as Daffy Duck or Donald Duck. We don't care. Uh, make up a, an email address. No one will ever know who you are. We don't really care who you are if that's a concern for you. And then all we do is we compare 500 people, hopefully, with chronic Lyme 
to 500 people who are, you know, in the, uh, in the five, in the 1000 genome project to identify where there might be some patterns for those with, uh, with chronic Lyme. If someone wants to just an overview of, uh, of the whole methylation status, there's a website called get to know your DNA.com. That's get to know GNOWYourDNA.com. I have about a 40 minute video that actually walk you through the, uh, the whole pathway. If you, you know, if you're one of these geeks who want to understand all this. And then, uh, my office is, uh, www.tol. That's T as in Tom, O as in Oscar, L as in Larry, health, H-E-A-L-T-H.com. T-O-L-Health.com. And if there's any, uh, physicians, healthcare practitioners, uh, who would like to do some of this genetic work and learn, uh, there is a, a website, uh, methyl, M-E-T-H-Y-L, genetic nutrition classes.com that tells you where we're doing classes. Uh, we're going to be in, in October. We're going to be in Boston, September in, uh, Phoenix. And if you're a healthcare practitioner only, not just people who, uh, want to do their genetics, this is a, uh, Practitioner only, DNA supplementation.com. You can watch a video, request a free account. But again, please, that's only, you know, licensed or traditional, uh, healers who actually have a holistic health practice. This isn't like some of the other sites where the public can go. I only work with, uh, healthcare practitioners. So that's not a site that the general public can go to. But if you're a doctor, chiropractor, acupuncturist, naturopath, licensed, uh, nutritionist, who has a, a practice doing this, uh, you can ask for a free trial of the software. And uh, again, please uh, submit and uh, watch the Nutrigenetic Research website. Oh, and those who do participate, you'll get a free copy of your genetic report. Uh, and there's no other obligation on your part, but you'll get that free report where you can see how you compare to those in the uh, in the study. We're just about ready to send that out to the people who participated in uh, in phase one, and then uh, watch the website and uh, see if we win again in uh, ILADS in November, and I'm hoping we do, not for the thought of getting a prize, but again, possibly bringing recognition to what might be some underlying root causes. I have to put on my calendar make sure I get down to the ILADS conference. Absolutely. I'd it's going like to be to uh, you. first or second week in uh, November in Philadelphia. A hop, skip, and a jump. I'm just in central New York, a couple miles north of you. So, Oh, excellent. Excellent. All right, Bob, thank you so much for your time. Fascinating. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. So one of the things I really liked about his interview is there were a few times where I felt like he was reading my mind. Really? Like, yeah, well, he was – Getting into the, the nutritional aspects of, uh, of the genetics, it, he would mention something and I was like, well, wait, what does that have to do with bone broth, for example? And then not two minutes later, he would start talking about, and this is how it relates to bone broth. So it was re- it was a really great interview. It, uh, covered a lot of the basics. It's really so dense and so much information there. We're going to probably should have mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast, but I'll mention it now. I'm going to have some of his videos on the webpage. So just go ahead on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com and click on his interview. And there'll be some of those explainer videos he was talking about if you really want to learn more about this. It's really tough to follow in audio format unless you kind of already know what he's talking about. So if you didn't understand but a little bit there – that's okay. The important part of this interview is one, if you have the 23andMe, go over to nutrigeneticsresearch.org and go ahead and participate. You know, donate your data to them. It will help a ton. He needs about 250 more people in the next 10 days. And if you've got it and you haven't signed up, please go ahead and do that. And the second is he's beginning to make sense of some of these genetic SNPs. And the part that's making sense is how to handle it and change it with the nutrition. You can't just go to the end of the methylation pathway and supplement there. You have to build your way to that point. And that's what Bob Miller has really put together in an amazing way. 
The other thing is I want to mention, this reminded me when I was talking to him of a previous episode that I did. It's a recording that of a presentation I made in front of a local Lyme disease support group about epigenetics. And epigenetics is the turning on and off of the genes. So just because you have a SNP doesn't necessarily mean that that gene is active or inactive. There has some other factors that go into to making that happen. And stress is, is one of the big ones. Your environment is another, and food also plays a big part in that. So it's important, you know, not just to understand and look at your 23andMe and say, okay, I've got this SNP, therefore I need this. You also need to take a look at your symptoms, like what's going on, and you also have to take a look at maybe some of these lab tests that he was talking about, the urinalysis that tells you what isn't getting processed in the body. Okay. And if you like Lime Ninja Radio, if you like this kind of geeky stuff, click on over to iTunes and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you and we'll review, we'll review, we'll review and read your review on the show. Yes, we do. And uh, we greatly appreciate each you know, and every review. Here, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there we go. We really do appreciate every single review that comes in. We love getting them and we love reading them out loud. For example, Carrie Wampus came in uh, and told us, as I'm lying in bed, too tired to read, watch TV or do anything else. This program has really helped me. Quote, like crawling up a mountain on your hands and knees. Thank you. And thank you, Carrie. Yes, thank you, Carrie, and thank you, Aurora. And last, as you longtime listeners know, you Lime Ninjas know, this podcast would not be complete unless we left you with the Lime Ninja fact of the day. Did you know a ninja's hand is the only hand that can beat a royal flush? Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique, and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.